Our line by line, verse by verse study through the book of Luke has now brought us to the point where we have Peter's denial. Jesus has already warned him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but now we actually see Peter denying Christ. And this is a crisis of faith. Jesus said to him, Satan is asking to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And crises of faith are not uncommon. I have people talk to me about them on a regular basis. I'll have someone that will come to me after a service or they'll write me a letter to Robert at CalvaryTucson.com or they'll leave one of a, a comment on one of our social media platforms. They'll say things like, God isn't listening to me. Why doesn't he listen to me? I failed. How come I keep failing? I feel like I'm not even a Christian. I, I don't even want to live anymore. I wish God would just take my life. I see individuals, Christians, in these kind of crises all of the time. And I want to take this opportunity to say to you that it is not uncommon that all of us at one point or another will go through crisis. Crisis can happen. A crisis of faith can happen with failure. That's what we see with Peter. Peter's going to fail you. It's going to send him into a crisis. He actually is having the crisis when he fails. But failure can, why did I fail? Why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. God doesn't want me. How could he love me? I'm not going to be used by him. It can happen when you just feel like God's not listening to you. You're trying to make a decision and you can't seem to make it. And you say, why won't God answer me? I'm calling out to him and I can't hear from him. Why, why, he's just not giving me direction. A crisis, of faith can, a crisis of faith can come when you go down a road you would never choose. When something happens to you, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of a job and not being able to find another one, the, the loss of a relationship can send you into a crisis of faith. Why would God do this? Why would God allow this? I can't believe that he would allow it. But I want you to see clearly that these crises are not uncommon even in scripture we see that there are crises of faith. In fact, we see uh, clearly there are several people who go through them. Let's, uh, let's consider Peter for a moment before we get to his crisis of faith because I think it's important for us to understand exactly who Peter was. Uh, Peter, first of all, was called by Jesus and given a new name. You remember that Peter's brother Andrew was had met Jesus first. And Andrew was really the first person to ever say Jesus was the Messiah. Listen to what it says in John 1, 41 to 42. He found his own brother, Simon. This is Andrew finding Simon. Simon means to listen, which is kind of ironic that Peter's name is to listen because throughout the ministry, he just wouldn't listen to Jesus. Jesus did say some things, he just didn't listen. No wonder Jesus said, we got to give you a new name because that one's not going to work. And he said to him, this is what Andrew said to Peter. We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, and you will now be called Cephas, which is translated stone. Now, this isn't a pebble. So I'm trying to make fun of Peter and say he called him a pebble. But no, it's a stone. It's like a, it's a rock. It's solid. And it would have the connotations that you would think of. Somebody named Rocky isn't weak, right? That's the idea. You are Peter. You are strong. Also, he was deeply committed to Christ. At one point in the ministry of Jesus, there were a lot of crowds following him and Jesus wasn't interested in crowds. 
He was interested in the quality of people following. So he shared a couple of hard things with them. At one point he said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now already for us, that's like, if we aren't thinking communion, we're thinking, drink your blood? We're talking about vampires here? What are we talking about? For them, it was worse because you could not eat an animal with blood in it and be kosher. In order to eat an animal, you had to drain its blood first. Clearly it had said, do not eat an animal with its blood in it. And so for Jesus to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're like, first of all, that's cannibalism. Secondly, it's not kosher. There's problems here. And the Bible says a bunch of them left. They stopped following him. So Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and said this. This is John 6, 66 and 68. For from that time on, many disciples went back from walking with him and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So he's deeply committed even when there's problems because of, of what's being shared. He was also the, one of the first to confess Jesus as the Christ. Remember his brother had come to him and said, we found the Christ. But then in Matthew 16, 13 through 14, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets. How he could have been John the Baptist, I don't know. John was six months older than him. John had died a little while ago. Did John's spirit jump over to the body of Jesus? I don't know what was going on theologically that they would say that. But then he says to, to them, who do you say I am? And Peter says, this is again in, in Matthew 16, verse, I think, 14. You are, the, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. God is revealed. So he confessed Jesus as the Christ, as one of the first ones to ever do that. Peter was the leader of, of the disciples. He was, he was obviously the one. Uh, he, in every list that you find, Peter is listed first. Every list in the New Testament. And you might say, well, that doesn't really mean anything. But on the bottom of that list is Judas. So if you list Peter first and Judas last, every time they're there, it's telling us that Peter had a leadership role. And every time the disciples got together and talked and went and told Jesus something, Peter was the one that carried that message. So by just a matter of, of being a leader, I don't know that he had an official leader as the top disciple, but he was because he would go to them regularly. Now, um, He's having a crisis of faith. And if you're having a crisis of faith, I want you to know that if Peter could have a crisis of faith and he was the leader of the disciples and, and obviously chosen by Christ in a very powerful way, then anyone could have a crisis of faith. Just because you're going through a crisis of faith, don't think, well, I just don't know. God's not answering me. God's not listening to me. Why did this happen to me? Why did I fall? Am I even really a Christian? Why am I prone to go astray? All of these things that people enter into, don't think it's because, you know, you're just barely a Christian and that's why you go through this crisis. Sometimes God is testing those who he's going to use greatly. He wants to temper you. He wants to temper the steel. I don't remember the theologian who said it, but it was someone like A.W. Tozer or... C.S. Lewis, 
who said, God will use no one greatly until he hurts them deeply. And God sometimes takes his children through very difficult times because God wants you to trust in him even in the midst of the difficulty. God has a purpose in the difficulty. So let's get right into this denial. There are a few more things that we'll learn. Uh, in verse 54, Luke twenty-two fifty-four. 54, I don't know what study this is in, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 22, by the way. We've been here a lot, a long time in Luke 22. We've been, I think this is the seventh or eighth study. But here it says, having arrested him, they've now arrested Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. They led him and brought him to the high priest's house. We'll talk more about this next week, but there are two high priests. It's a very interesting time in Israel. There was the high priest Annas and his son-in-law Caiaphas was put in by the Romans as high priest. So there are two high priests because once you're a high priest, you're, you're not gonna be removed from being a high priest. So there were two of them. Annas will see Jesus first and then Caiaphas will see him. And it says, Peter followed at a distance. And let's just talk for a minute about that following at a distance. Because this is often used to be brought up as one of the steps for why Peter fell. But I wanna give him props, first of all, for following. Because the rest of the disciples didn't, except for John. John went to the courtyard. He saw Peter outside of the courtyard. John knew the family of the high priest, John, the uh, gospel of John tells us. So he goes to the, the girl that's at the gate and says, let him in. And so he lets Peter into the courtyard. So now we know the only two disciples that are in the courtyard while Jesus is being tried and beaten by them, they will put a bag over his head right early in the trial. They will punch him and they will say, prophesy to his prophet, which one of us hits you? And why that's going on, John is there. We don't know anything about John, where he's at, what he's doing. Peter is there. We will follow Peter while he is in that courtyard. And um, so people will use this following at, his, at a distance in this way. Peter made a mistake because he followed Jesus at a distance. And then they'll use an allegory. Are you, are you following Jesus at a distance? Are you close to Christ? Or are you a ways away from him? You need to get closer to him. And this is not the best, this is not the best way to handle scripture because you're taking something that's very literal. Peter is following him at a distance, literally, and you're turning it into an allegory. So it's not the best way to handle scripture. However, it, it works, it's something good, it works. But I wanna talk about what we can really learn from Peter following at a distance. Why is he following at a distance? Because he can't be in the crowd because who's in the crowd? Well, chief priests and scribes and Sadducees and, and soldiers and the captain of the guard in the temple and the guy he cut the ear off. And so if, Jesus, if Peter is like, I'm gonna go with Jesus and he gets up in the crowd and walks with them, he's obviously not one of them. And so he backs away and follows at a distance. Now, this could have been the first time in his mind that he was thinking, I don't want to let people know that I'm with Christ. I'm following at a distance. I don't want them to know I'm with him. We know from Matthew 26, 58, why he goes. This is why he went into the courtyard. It says, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard and went in and sat with the servants. <laughs> he got cut off a servant's high priest. And now he's sitting with the servants to see the end. He followed him at a distance to see the end. Peter wanted to know, is he going to be let go? Is he going to be taken further into to trials and maybe death? 
He wanted to be there, I think, if Jesus was released. And so he's, he's kind of in this thing where he's just doing his thing and hasn't thought about it too much. I said that Peter had had a crisis of faith while he's, he's here and it's about to unfold before us. But it's important for us to know that we see men in crisis of faith throughout the Bible. Jonah had a crisis of faith. It all started when God said, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy them. And because he hated the Ninevites, he was a bigot. He hated the Ninevites. He got in a boat and went the opposite way. God prepared a storm. God prepared a fish. He ends up in the belly of the fish. And if you go to the book of Jonah and read the account of him in the fish's belly, that's a crisis of faith. Read it. It's like he's talking about all of these things and he's in crisis. Job had a crisis of faith. Why? Because everything was taken from him. And Job says some things to God that will make you wince. Uh, Job doesn't always, he says some great things. There's some great quotes from Job that are fantastic. But Job says at one point, I wish God were a man because I would set him down and say, what are you doing? You ever felt that way? What's God doing in my life? Why? I wish God were a man. I could sit down and talk to him. Instead, he's yelling at the sky. What are you doing? And there's no answer. He's not getting anything back from God on what's happening. Job had a crisis of faith. Elijah had a crisis of faith. We think of him as a powerful prophet that faced 450 prophets of Baal, that faced Ahab. But you know, the Bible tells us that after he killed the 450 prophets of Baal, that Jezebel said, I'm going to kill him. I vow that by tomorrow at this time, that man will be dead and Elijah ran. And some people make fun of Elijah. They'll say he killed 450 prophets of Baal. Then he ran from a woman. Read about Jezebel. You'd run too if you found out gal was something. So here's what it says about Elijah. This is 1 Kings 19, 4 through 7. Listen to this crisis. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. It sounds like a prayer that we could pray. Take my life, God. I want to die. I don't want to live anymore. I just had someone say that to me in their own crisis. Why can't I just die? The answer was because God's got a plan for you. Die to yourself and live for Christ. But it's, it's, it's encouraging in a weird way that Elijah went through that. I'm not happy he went through it, but it's encouraging in a weird way because when you go through it, there's others that have gone through it as well. Listen to a couple of other passages on crisis of faith. Psalm 13, one through six. I won't read the whole thing here. Uh, the psalmist says, how long, O God, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long am I only gonna hear myself? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you talk to me? You ever felt like that? Listen to Psalms 42, five through seven. I won't read it all again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You know, they say there's a problem when you talk to yourself and the real problem is when you answer yourself. <laughs> Listen to this crisis. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? He's talking to himself. And why are you so disquieted within me? And then he answers himself, hope in God. It's like this battle going on inside of him. Why am I so distraught? Why am I so downcast? We could say today, why am I so depressed? 
Why can't I, why can't I be, be happy about God? And then it's like hope in God. God's going to take you through this. But he was so down that he saw himself disquieted within him. In Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18, again, Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah, wrote the book of Lamentations, was the prophet to warn Israel before they were taken into captivity into Babylon. But his ministry was a brutal ministry. It wasn't a fun ministry. The, the Bible says in Hebrews to make the, path, the job of those who watch out for your souls, the overseer, the pastors that you have, make it a joy for them to be able to minister. And I can honestly say it's a joy for me to be able to minister. Jeremiah, it was miserable. And Jeremiah says in his misery, listen to what he says. Just listen to this. This may be even heavier than Elijah's. He says, cursed be the day. This is, this is Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18. Cursed be the day which I was born. He has to curse the day he was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought the news to my father saying, a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and do not relent. Shoot the messenger, the guy that went to my dad and told him how good it was. Let him be overtaken by the Lord. It says, let him hear the cry of the morning and the shout of noon because he did not kill me in the womb. He, wants, he wanted to be stillborn. God should have killed me in the womb. I'm here ministering. These people are all after me. I wish I just died in the womb. He says that my mother's, lar my mother's womb might have been enlarged. Um, let's see. Uh, that my mother's womb might be my grave and her womb always enlarged within me, meaning that he would die there, her womb would enlarge, she would give birth to a stillborn baby. He goes, why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow? Here I am doing this in labor and sorrow. I, I bring up Jeremiah because sometimes ministry is hard. Sometimes ministry, you come to a point in ministry where you say, I think I'd rather... I rather would just go get a job at Costco. A friend of mine who's a pastor and um, fairly new pastor, I think he's been pastor now for 10 or 12 years, but we sent him out. And he said that after he went out, he was dealing with a lot of different problems within the church he'd planted. And he was at Costco and he watched some kid putting boxes on a shelf and he told God, I just want that job. That's the job I want. What stress does that guy have, you know? Finally, it says, and the angel of the Lord came back. Uh, no, no. Um, and finally, it says, why did I come forth from the womb to see the labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? Now, let me read Elijah's a little bit more because I want to show you something that happened. Because in your crisis, in your being distressed, God is with you. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. You may feel alone. You may feel like he's not answering you, but he is hearing you and you just need to be patient. That's hard to do in the midst of a crisis. But listen to what happened to Elijah. So he's, he's under the broom tree. He asks and he prays that he would have his life taken from him because he's no better than his father's. Then it says this. Then as he lie and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So I ate and I drank and I lay down again. I just love that the angel comes and ministers to him. 
God knows your sorrow. God knows your distress. God's not ignoring you. There may be a test going on. Crisis are times that God can use those. But I just want you to know that God's not ignoring you. Now let's consider and go on. So, so Peter is following at a distance and it says in verse 55, now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, he sat down together and Peter sat among them. So he's around this fire and it will be around this fire that he will deny Jesus three times. And it's over a course of two hours. The, ga- the girl at the gate lets him in. Jesus joins the fire and she says to him, you're the one, you're, you're with him. And he says, I am not. And then somebody at the fire says, no, you are with him. He says, I'm not. Then about an hour later, the guy's like, you're a Galilean. You are with him. And he goes, no, I'm not. And then the rooster crows. That happens around a fire, which we ask the question, why is he there? Why is he around the fire with the servants of the high priest? The high priest wants Jesus dead. Why is he there? More specifically, why isn't he with John? He's broken his fellowship with John and he's someplace where he shouldn't be. And he got a pretty good explanation of what's happening there. But remember another fire in John 21, when, when Jesus calls his disciples to go to Galilee. And, and Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, the first one he appeared to after he rose from the dead, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Why did he say and Peter? Because Peter thought I'm not a disciple anymore. I denied him, how can I be a disciple? And so Jesus that day makes them a fire. And while they're eating, he says, Peter, he says, Simon, actually, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. Do you see, he thinks he's not a disciple and God's like, you're gonna continue on. And three times he asks him, do you love me? One time for every time he denied him. He denied around a fire and he was restored around a fire. And if your crisis has come from your failure, then know there is restoration. So let's go and look at the denial now. So we pick that up in verse 56. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. So he's at this point trying to be incognito. This man was with him. And, uh, but he denied saying, woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And here he sounds like the 70s. That's, that was my time. Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are saying. Now, two things here. Number one, in one of the other gospels, it says that he told him, you're a Galilean, I can tell by your accent. You speak as a Galilean. Just like in the United States, I can tell, I have a friend who is from Boston. I think he's actually from Connecticut, but it's the same thing. And and, and when he talks to me, he calls me uh, Robert. Hi, Robert, how you doing? I'm I'm like, his name is Whitaker. Good to see you, Whitaker, Chris, Whitaker. So he's a friend, but I can tell he's from, I can tell he's from that area immediately. Uh, I can tell when someone's from Alabama. We used to have a gal here from Alabama and she'd come up and say, hi, I'm going back to Alabama for a while. I'm like, yeah, I can, that's exactly where you're going. I could tell because you're from Alabama. So they had the Galilean accent, but think about this. The Jerusalem or the Judean accent was the school, the academic accent. So the Galilean accent would have been the backwaters accent, would have been the country accent. 
You know, J. Vernon McGee had that really country voice, but he was a PhD. He was incredibly smart, wrote so many things, but he didn't sound smart. May I say to you, my friends, yeah, what are you saying? <laughs> so he's a Galilean. And, and, and uh, the other thing here is that, um, let's see, I can't remember what the other thing was. Let's continue on and I'll remember what the other thing was. There are two things, I only remember one. Um, so he says to him, uh, confidently, surely this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. But he said, man, I don't know um, what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Jesus had said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, what a moment that must have been for Peter to look at here, the rooster, realize he's denied him. And I think this all happened. It happened over a couple of hours, but it wasn't like it was all this premeditated stuff. He's just trying to be incognito. He's around the flame, the fire. And now he's denied him three times and the rooster crows and he looks up at Jesus. And I got to think it was a look of, of love. I don't think it was a look of, I told you so. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it was a look of anger, of wrath. I think he just looked up at Peter and knew what he was going to go through because of his failure, because he was so overconfident. And um, it says, so Peter went out and wept bitterly. This crisis has brought him to that place where he's just weeping bitterly and thinks he can never be renewed. Listen to Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Jesus said, therefore, and Peter would have heard this, therefore, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father who is in heaven. You could make a case from that, that denial is the unforgivable sin. If you deny me, I will deny you. If you confess me, I will confess you. No wonder Peter thought, I'm done. I'm not a disciple. I think that's why he went fishing. They go to meet him in Galilee and Peter's like, I'm going fishing. I need to sharpen up those skills. I haven't fished in a while. That's what I think he's thinking. He's thinking, I'm not going to be used anymore. But God does use him. And that is so incredibly powerful. If you are in the midst of that crisis right now, know that God is with you. He will bring you through this crisis. I've been through my own. Many of you have been through them. Some of you are in them right now. Three things in closing. Number one, if Peter could fail, then anyone could fail. That's the point of this story. It's not like, Peter, what a horrible guy. Look at all the mistakes he made and then he failed. No, he was the leader, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the apostles was Peter. And if he could fail, then you could fail. And so the Bible says that we need to walk circumspectly, which means carefully. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Know that you are made of flesh. God knows that we're made of flesh. Know that you are made of flesh. Number two, don't think that you are alone in the crisis because you're not. Even if you are like the psalmist who cried out, why won't you answer me? How come I cry to you and you don't hear me? Jesus even went through a crisis of faith. In Psalms 22, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me? 
I cry in the daytime and you don't answer. I cry in the nighttime and you don't hear me. Remember, there was darkness on the cross. So even in his humanity, 100% human, 100% God, even in his humanity, he faced that kind of a crisis. Why do you think God allowed him to go into shock and to have that crisis on the cross? So that you would know that your crisis is not the end of you. Your crisis doesn't mean that you're not a believer or a follower. The enemy is so good at condemning us. Paul talked about his own crisis over his own failures. Paul said, the very things, I, this is Romans 7, the very things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, it is Jesus Christ, for there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, and you guys know this, I just want to make sure. I'm not saying, you know what? God's going to forgive you, so go out there and have fun. Just go out and live your life and sin. You know I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying, you know, go out there and fail because God's got you. You know, he's going to got a big net. You could fail on purpose. He's going to be like, I got you. No, when we are genuine Christians, we want to give him holiness and we want to live for him. That's genuine Christians want that. And because we want that and we fail, it devastates us. And that's why Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you guys know I'm not saying that, right? The Bible says that should, uh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. I just want to make that point so nobody goes out of here thinking, did you hear Robert say we could go, what do you know? We're, let's go, woohoo, you know? I didn't say that. Now, number three, despite your failures, and this is so important, God has a plan for you. Peter had failed, and yet God said to him, tend my sheep, teach my lambs, teach my sheep. He had a plan. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And at this point, I speak to everyone in this room. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. The Bible clearly teaches us that. He not only gifts you, but there is a call on your life. Have you heard it? Are you using a failure as an excuse to not follow it? Are you using a crisis that you've gone through as an excuse not to follow it? I can't do anything for a God that would let that happen to me. I've heard before. You have a purpose and you will not be fulfilled or satisfied until you are doing that thing that God has called you to do. It's really important. It, it may be shining for a light for him where you are, where you work. You may be at the fire department. It doesn't mean you leave the fire department. It means that you say to him, Lord, I'm yours. How do you want me to live here? How do you want me to be here? How can I represent you the very best way that I can here if this is what you have for me? You say to him what we all need to say, I am yours. I will live for you. Give me direction. Speak to me and I'll listen and I'll die for you. I'll die for you if you want me to die for you. I will live for you. Because we are his ambassadors, the Bible says, as if we are imploring with people to come to Christ. We plant, we sow, we are the light of the world. We are the salt on the earth. Jesus said, you are a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Peter certainly went when he was back at a distance following. This is a city set on a hill, but you are. And may it be that the enemy would never use a crisis in your life. I fell away when I was 18. I say I fell away. I walked away from Christ when I was 18. 
God came and got me. And I'll tell you that story sometime because God came after me. And I have that in my life. And I literally thought when I came back, the call that I had to be a pastor is gone. I thought God's not going to use me. Somebody that did what I walked away. But God did use me. And the transformation when I came back was greater than the transformation when I came to Christ at 14 years old. And it became evident pretty quick that God was going to use me. And God will use you. You have a purpose. Your, your life is not just to hang out, live for yourself. Peter said, it is Christ that lives in me. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ. And Christ lives in you and has a call and a purpose for your life. Don't let a crisis or a failure stop you from living that life that he has for you. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much as we take a look at Peter in this struggle and how it made him want to quit. He just wanted to stop. He believed he was no longer called by you. But Lord, I pray that we would understand that we have a purpose. We were made for a purpose. We are told that we have works we are supposed to walk in from the foundations of the world. Help us to walk in those that you've given us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.